Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. So welcome to church today. We're celebrating the name of Jesus, and while we're off the top celebrating, let me, uh, let me celebrate something that's been going on the last two weekends. If you have students here at 12 Stone, you know that two weeks ago we had the high school winter retreat. Last week we had the middle school winter retreat. Listen to this. We had 702 students go. Over 160 volunteers went, and we had 70 decisions for Christ. Can we celebrate what God's doing in the next generation? Listen, in a world where this is complicating rebuilding from the last two years since the shutdown, this is the first time, listen, we, had, we served more students this year than we did two years ago before all this craziness happened. God is on the move in the next generation, and we celebrate what he's doing. In fact, my own oldest two went last weekend. Luke and Lizzie went last weekend. They had the time of their life, and so my wife and I had a great idea. When they get back from camp, the buses will roll in. We'll pick the kids up. We'll take them to dinner, and we want to hear all that God did in their life, right? Like, I'm ready. And so we pick them up, take them to Chipotle, and we order, and we sit down, and we're like, so, how was camp? This is what they both did. They fell asleep on the table in Chipotle. I'm not joking. So parents, you're welcome. My kids slept 12 hours both nights after they got back from camp. It was awesome. God God is on the move in the next generation. It's a beautiful thing. But today's teaching, not about wins, not about celebrating. This teaching is for anybody who has ever failed or messed up or found themselves in a place where you go, it's over. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because they'd all go up anyway. And if they didn't, you're a liar. You failed. It should have been up. We've all failed. We've all messed up. In fact, here's here's the big question we're going to be sitting inside of this weekend together. Simply this. I messed up. Am I done? That's a real question, isn't it? Like, I I messed up. Is it over for me? Is Is it done? Think back to your first year of marriage. This I am going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you, your first year of marriage was really good versus really bad? How many of you was your first year of marriage like honeymoon central? It was awesome. Congratulations. How many of you was your first year of marriage not so good? Hands up. That was me and Amber. Our first year of marriage was the worst. Listen to me. I I had grand plans in my head for this first year, right? Everyone tells you, this is the year. It's like a honeymoon for 12 months straight. So we dated long distance, and so we knew each other intimately. Like We knew the relationship. I knew all her likes, her dislikes. But then she moved up to Indiana where I lived. And we had to figure out like the day in and day out stuff. And I had prepared a place for her. Like I I had put things in motion. I had bought a duplex that's downtown Indianapolis. The house was over 100 years old at the time. And we bought a duplex. And the problem was I was young in ministry. I was making $1,500 a month before taxes, before expenses. I couldn't afford rent. So I had to get a duplex so the people next door would pay my mortgage for me. And so I had prepared this place. My brother and I bought this place together. And so I asked Amber to marry me. And I told Josh, my brother, we're getting married. And my wife's going to come live up here. And he's like, we have renters next door. Where do I go? And I was like, we have a basement. It's unfinished and pretty gross, but we have a basement. So he's like, whatever. So he moves to the basement, and I bring my newlywed wife into this duplex 
with my brother living in the basement, having to sneak up to go to the bathroom. There's no bathroom down there. He would sneak up like a troll in the morning. I need to use the bathroom, sir. I'm so sorry. And sneak back down. Listen, nothing gets your wife feeling good and in the mood like your brother popping up randomly throughout the day. I'd call her on the, on the drive home from work like, hey, daddy's coming home. And she'd be like, yeah, your brother's in the shower. I'll talk to you later. Like, not, not fun. It was not what I dreamed it would be. It's not what I'd hoped it would be. See, you get to places, and if if we're honest, my wife and I, we didn't realize how hard-headed we were. And that first year of marriage, we both, years later, talked about it. We never said it out loud in that first year, but we talked about it later on and said, I think I made a mistake. I married the wrong person. My wife believes she married the wrong person. I believe I might have made a mistake. This marriage might be done. See, I, on paper, I, I looked through, this is what marriage is supposed to be. I planned it out, and then I made mistake after mistake after mistake. It wasn't just I picked a dumb living arrangement. I messed up a lot of stuff in that first year. I didn't, I didn't think our marriage was going to make it. See, we've all had moments where you look around and go, am I done? Like The question isn't, did we make a mistake? The question is, are we done once we've messed up? See, I thought we might have been done. Listen, over the last two years, maybe you've crossed some lines in marriage and you're in a serious moment asking the question, is my marriage done? See, over the last two, three years, maybe you're homeschooling your kids or digital learning days and some of the things that came out of your mouth to those kids, you're like, I lost all ability to parent. It's over. They'll never respect me again. Is it? I'm just done parenting. Maybe you made some Amazon purchases in the last two years where you just got isolated and lonely and bored and, and suddenly packages start rolling in and you like it and you look at your bank account and go, I'm financially done, it's over. So maybe there, there are places in your career where maybe you quit a job that you wished you wouldn't have or you stayed at a job that you wish you'd have quit and you're going, is my career path over? Maybe you're sitting in a season of faith where, man, you disengage from church, from small group, from serving, from giving, from being a part of the kingdom, and you feel like you've drifted so far, you go, am I done? Is this over? Maybe you're in school, and this year you failed some classes because it's like, it's hard to do this digital thing, and you're like, is my college future over? I messed up. Is it over? And if that's you, today's story is perfect. I messed up. Is it done? So let's pick up where Pastor Kevin left off last week. If you remember the story of Joseph last weekend, it's the story of a, of a chosen son who was sold into servitude by jealous brothers, and then a, a boy who was put into prison by a lying floozy. He didn't even do it. Now he's in prison. And then a man who, who was taken from prison up to the palace because of a desperate king who needed a dream to be a dream translated for him. And then God used this this man, Joseph, to lead the people and to serve the people and to help us, help the people live through a famine. And, And God used this normal everyday dude to help rescue his people. It's a beautiful story. But today we pick up with another character where he made a mess of things. His story wasn't Joseph's story, though Joseph was put in prison for something he didn't do. This story, this character, he messed up, and it looked like it was over. In today's story, we pick up the character Moses. 
Finally, in this, this sort of origin story series, we're finally to the dude that is the author of the first five books of the Bible. Moses is accredited as the author of these five books. We finally get to him, and the story today picks up right where we left off last weekend, from Joseph right into this, and here's what Scripture says in Exodus 1, 6, and 7. Here's what's happened from last weekend to this weekend. Now, Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites, God's people, were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Remember, God promised Abraham, your, your, your offspring will be more numerous than the stars in the sky. It's happening. It's playing out. It's perfect. God's, God's actually doing what he said. Joseph's gone, but now his people continue. Abraham's lineage continues. But now we introduce the complexity of the story. Here's what's going on around them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. This king had forgotten Joseph, and more importantly, the God of Joseph. No memory of what God did. How quickly we forget God. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. God's promise to Abraham was working so well that there's so many people that the new king is, like, scared. Like, if this goes down and there's a fight, they got more people than we do. And so I got to deal shrewdly with them. What would that look like for him to deal shrewdly with the Israelites? Here's what it looks like. They, being the king and the Egyptians made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt then, he said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. This is not good circumstances for God's people. Like if you're a grown adult, they're working you day and night, making bricks and building and expanding the Egyptian kingdom and just treating you like indentured servants. And if you have, happen to have a baby boy, it's getting killed at the table. Like it's, it's over. He doesn't want the next generation of men to grow up and for the, the people of Israel to get more and more powerful. God, what are you doing? God, you promised your people that they would one day have the promised land, and now they've found themselves enslaved to the Egyptian people. And they begin to cry out to God, there's got to be a deliverer. God, this is not what you promised us. And at that point, this is when our main character from this story today shows up. And it is Exodus 2, 1 to 10. Here's what it says. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant, gave birth to his son, which was Moses. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Listen, I'm going to paraphrase Exodus 2 because this story is buck wild. Listen, Moses gets born into that climate. He's supposed to be killed. The midwives show pity on him. Don't kill him. Then the mom hides him for three months. If you've ever had a newborn, how do you hide a newborn? They didn't have passies back then. Like, what do you do? God was obviously looking over this, 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 this baby boy, Moses. And then, here's where it gets bugged wild. And then, the baby is too big, and so she builds a basket and puts the baby in the basket and puts the baby in the Nile River among the reeds to hide the baby. What mom does this? Like, what's this story about? So Moses is sitting in a basket, 
And then the king who wants Moses dead, his daughter is out by the Nile and she finds the basket and goes, oh, look at that cute baby. I think I want that baby. What? So she's like, I'll take the baby. And then Moses' sister who's hanging out next door goes, hey, she sees it happen. He goes, hey, you want that baby? That's cool. Do you want me to go find a Hebrew woman to nurse that child for the next season of time? She goes, that sounds good. So she takes her own brother back to her own mother, and her mother is paid to nurse her own child. This story is nuts. And so Moses, for 40 years, he was adopted into the king's family. The guy who wanted him dead, he's now living in his home, being raised as a prince. He has opulence and privilege and wealth, the best schools, the best food, the best opportunities, people waiting on him hand and foot for 40 years. So for me, I just turned 40. My whole life, I would have grown up in the palace. This is a good day for Moses. But from from, from being wanted dead to being a prince for 40 years, but all the while his people, God's people were being treated cruelly. They were enslaved, they were beaten, they were overworked. All while Moses is sitting in the palace. I want us to get into Moses' head for a second. It would be really hard for you not to get caught up in your own story if you're Moses, right? I'm obviously God's chosen man. My mom put me in a basket and the princess adopted me. I'm the man. I had no, I'm a Hebrew and I'm being raised as a prince. See, the king might have forgotten the story of Joseph, but Abraham or Moses would not have. Moses would have remembered the story. Wait a second. So God had this crazy plan to get Joseph from the prison into the palace. And then God put Joseph right next to the king. And then he was able to lead and serve God's people. Moses is going, wait a second. My story is the same story. I'm the deliverer. God's going to use me to help rescue his people. He put me miraculously in the palace. It would not be hard for for Moses to get his brain to a place of going, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy. It makes complete sense. Look at my story. And so many scholars believe the decision he was about to make came because he misinterpreted what God was doing. And he's about to mess up big time. For 40 years, his life is awesome. And one day, everything changed. Here's here's what it says in Exodus 2. One day, after Moses had grown up, that one line, 40 years. He's grown up. He's 40 years old. He went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. One of his own people. Looking this way and that. Don't we do that before we do something bad? All right. Put it in the side. Let's go. He looked left and right. Like no one. Here's what he did. Looking this way and that and seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next thing we do when we mess something up, we bury it. (laughs) Hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. Now he's seeing two of God's people fighting. And here's what they said. He asked the one in the wrong. Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Uh Uh-oh. Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. And when Pharaoh, the king, heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. In one moment, Moses went from future deliverer to done. Doesn't life feel like that sometimes? Things are working, things are clicking, and in one moment... You mess up, and it feels like it's over. And so Moses 
runs so he doesn't get killed by the Pharaoh, and he runs to Midian. And Midian has significance because it was a wilderness. It was like a desert wilderness, barren place to live. Like the geography around him described what he felt inside of him. I am done. And for 40 years, he lived in Midian. Before Moses was ever a deliverer of God's people, he was a murderer. It's one of the things I love about scripture. It's one of the proofs, I believe, that that tell you that this is a God-inspired book. Because Moses was the author of this story. If I was writing my autobiography, I would leave out the fact that I killed somebody. Anybody? Unless, I'm not going to go there. It's a joke, I'm not going to go there. Moses would not have added that to his story if it was not an inspired word of God. But I love scripture because the main characters and the heroes are flawed, like you and me. Moses was a flawed man. And everything in this moment said, it's over. Moses, the trajectory you had in your life, where you were going, you went from the palace to on the run and a fugitive in one day. And there's no path back. See, life feels like this sometimes. I've had conversations with y'all for years. I've talked to moms and dads who come in and go, dude, I... I have said things to my kids that I'll never be forgiven for. And my role as their parent, it's, it's over. I've messed up too much. My kids are grown now. I, I can't keep pouring in. I've messed up and it's, it's, it's over. I'm done. I sit, sat down with, with couples in marriage where they're like, dude, we cross lines that we won't come back from. It's, 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 it's over. Business leaders, even the last two years that have made the wrong calls, went left when they should have went right, went right when they should have went left, and they're looking around at the landscape of their business going, it's over, I'm I'm done. People whose private lives have gotten so messed up that they don't see a path back. They don't even, like, listen, they don't even want to pray because they're like, God knows all the stuff that I did. I'm done. He's done with me. I'm done with him. There's no way back. You see, Moses answered the question of the day. I messed up. Am I done? Moses answered that question for himself. He said, I am done. And for 40 years, Moses lived a quiet life. He married a woman, had some kids, started working as a shepherd for his father-in-law, Jethro. Jethro was not from Alabama, although it sounds like he's from over there in Midian. Started working for his father-in-law, Jethro. And as far as Moses was concerned, his story in scripture should have ended in Genesis 2. God had all this stuff, all this momentum in his life. It's working. It's working. You're going to be the deliverer. He messed up. His story's over as far as he's concerned. But the story is about to take an unexpected turn. Moses is now 80 years old. Like, we can't fathom the jump scripture takes. Like, you flip a chapter. That was 40 years. What? Like, that's my whole existence is 40 years. He lived this way, assuming it was over for 40 years. And then in Genesis 3, everything changed. Here's what it says. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, who was the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness. So not only is he in the wilderness, he's now on the far side of the wilderness. He's on the other side of the tracks, but like the other side of the next set of tracks. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And here's what happens. In fact, I want to take this from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Here's how they encapsulate this moment. Moses is done, 
And then God shows up. Listen, when you're in the wilderness, what do you do? You look for God. Here's what happened. We already covered this. Joseph and his brothers grew old and died. Later on, a new king began to rule. And the people of God began to cry out because they were treating him so bad. And here's what happens. One day, Moses was looking after sheep when something caught his eye. A bush was behaving very oddly. It was flickering with flames, but its leaves weren't burning up. And he went to take a closer look. Moses boomed a big voice from the bush. Moses leapt back as we all would have. The bush was talking to him. I have heard my people's cries, God said. I have seen their tears, so I have come to rescue them. Go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go free. Moses was afraid, but God said, I will be with you. This moment is the burning bush moment. If you've grown up in church, you've seen this on a flannel graph. You've seen this moment, but this moment is significant. See, Moses was done. God had to come and get Moses. Moses didn't know how to get back to God, so God had to come to him. And when God showed up, God called Moses to something, and they got in a little tiff back and forth. Moses is like, God, you, you see everything. You know what I did. I'm not your man. They literally have like a back and forth dialogue, like you'd see your, your, your two kids back and forth. Like, why would you do this? Why would you do that? And Moses is like, God, you know I stutter. Like, I have a speech impediment. Use somebody else. And finally, Moses is done. He's like, God, I'm not your man. Look somewhere else. Moses was so done, he was telling God he was done. Like, he's so done that he's like, God, you, you just got to leave me alone. I've messed it up too bad. It is over. See, and one of the questions Moses, is, Moses asks in this dialogue is fascinating. It says in Exodus 3.13, here's, here's the question he asks. He said, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? That's an odd question, isn't it? Unless you've ever seen like an Italian gangster movie. Anyone like, like the Godfather or anything else, you're not going to get struck down. God will forgive you. Anyone like, like I, I, I like the Italian. Here's, here's what it would be like. It'd be like the mob boss telling like a, a guy low on the totem pole. Hey, go to Frankie. Tell him to give you $100,000. What's that guy going to say? Who do I tell Frankie sent me? Because I'm not showing up to say, hey, Frankie, give me $100,000. Frankie's like, boom. No, not, not going to happen. Who do I tell him? And you say, tell him I sent you. That's, that's what you do in a movie. And this is what Moses is trying to figure out. Like, like, God, what do I say? And God's answer, this is one of the turning point moments in all of Scripture. God's about to give Moses and give us his personal name. Listen, up until this point, God's given us his title, like CEO of the world. God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. That's his title, like his position. And he's about to give us his personal name. Here's what it says in Exodus 3.14. He answers Moses and says, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. We have to unpack that. Because this is where the English translation of scripture fails to capture the beauty of the original Hebrew. And oftentimes you've, you've read this passage translated I am. And that's a fair translation, but there's a, a better way to look at this. See, the, the, the Hebrew word that God would have given would have been this, eh, yeh. And that word would have meant, I will be. He's like, Moses is going, God, which, who should I say sent me? And God gave his name, personal name, I will be. It means this, that he is the one who is and who will be. 
God identifies himself as the pre-existent and self-existent one. God's existence is not dependent upon any person, anything, anyone else's actions. God simply will be. Eh, yay. And then because Moses would not have been able to use that name. Like, who sent you? I will be. Moses can't say that. Only God can. So God gives Moses the, the, the personal verb form of his own name. And that's where we get the name Yahweh. Which means he will be. Moses, when you go to my people and then go to the Pharaoh king, you tell them that he will be has sent me. See, whenever you're in your, your Bible and you see the word Lord in all capital letters, it's over 6,500 times in the Old Testament, that is how we've translated the word Yahweh. See, God did not start with a strategy. He started with his name. Isn't that interesting? When God came to Moses, he didn't start by laying out a strategic plan. He started with his name. When Moses doubted God, God didn't give him a pep talk. God gave him his name. See, why, why would the name thing mean anything? Like, okay, cool. Thanks for your personal name, God. But I still have to go do this. I don't know how to do it. I don't know the strategy yet. Here's what, here's what, it, would, what it would have meant to Moses. Moses would have said things like, God, I'm a murderer. I'm done. And God would have said, eh, yay. Moses, I know you're a murderer. I know you can't do it, but I will be. And Moses would have said things like, God, I stutter and I can't get it out. I know, but I will be. Moses would have said, I can't be the guy you want me to be. And God would say, I know, I will be. Eh, yay. See, in the name of God, everything was answered inside of Moses. Every shortcoming he had, Every place he couldn't measure up, God's going, I'm fully aware. I counted into the equation your mess-ups and who you are when I called you. God was not surprised. When God gave you a kid, if you have a kid, God took into consideration all the stuff that you've done and all the shortcomings that are inside of your personality and your wiring when he called you to be a parent. God was not surprised by this. See, Moses discovered that just because he was done didn't mean God was done with him. Just because you might feel done, God's not done with you. And God had to come all the way to the wilderness. Because when Moses messed up, he fled and just said, it's over. And you look at this story and go, yeah, I mess up. But when I mess up, I don't like go run to the woods for six months. My wife would kill me again, right? Like she thinks I'm out there hunting and fishing. That's a, that's a gift. I don't run to the wilderness when I mess up. Maybe, maybe our story would look a little different today. You see, today when we mess up, we don't take ourselves to, out to the wilderness. We just take ourselves out of the fight. Remember when Peter messed up? Maybe our story looks more like Peter's mess up. If you don't know scripture inside of the book of John, chapter 18, Peter denies Jesus three times. His biggest failure as a man, it's over for him. What does he do? He doesn't go to the wilderness. He just takes himself out of the fight and goes back to fishing. See, today when we mess up, it is way more subtle than Moses' story. Moses ran to the wilderness for 40 years. You know what we do? We just disengage and pull ourselves out of the fight. And everyone around you might not notice it, but you know in your soul, you know in your soul the places where you've just pulled yourself out of the fight. You messed up, so I'm just going to pull myself back out of the fight. 
you're married, you're probably still married. You're just not fighting for your marriage like you used to. If you're a parent, you still show up to a ball game or two. You're still around, but you know in your soul you're not fighting for your family and your kids pouring in like you used to. See, if you listen to any other part of the teaching, lean in here. So perhaps this is why God brought you this weekend. To ask this question, where have you messed up, believed you were done, and taken yourself out of the fight? See, I know how to be a great dad. And I know how to be a great husband. I know how to be a great friend. I know how to be great at my job. I don't know how to be great at all four all the time. Can I be honest? There are seasons where it feels like my life is a string of disappointing different people every day. Let me talk to men for a second. These last couple years have been complicated. What it means to provide has gotten more complicated. What it means to be a loving and caring husband has been more complicated. What it means to be a devoted and intentional father has been complicated. What it means to have friendship has been complicated. And the places this year where I've stumbled is because I mess up and I hate failing. And I hate disappointing my kids. Dad, when your kid says, Dad, you seem so stressed. Oh. And subtly inside, it's like the evil one whispers to me. Messed up your kids, it's over. And then when Amber will say, like, Jay, I know you got a lot, but can we have a little time? And the evil one whispers, Listen, you've messed up your marriage. She'll never love you like she would have. And then what I what I do, just subtle places that I start to pull myself out of the fight. If I'm gonna work this hard and still fail, just forget it. Don't pretend like we've not had moments like this. Don't pretend that the evil one would not want you to buy into the lie that if you mess up, it's over. So just pull out of the fight anyway. Places in your character, your spiritual journey where you just, if I'm going to work this hard and still mess up and still sin and still, what's the point? And we just subtly pull ourselves out of the fight. And maybe God brought you here to dispel the lie that when you mess up, you're done. See, maybe you've messed up here or there, and you know in your soul, you know that you know. You've not pulled yourself out into the wilderness, but you've pulled yourself out of the fight. And what Moses needed was a burning bush. And what Moses needed was the name of God. Eh, yay. Moses, I know you can't be, but I will be. Listen, where you cannot be the perfect parent and you mess up, Yahweh, he will be. When you can't be the perfect spouse that you need to be, Yahweh, he will be. When you cannot be the perfect employee and you mess up at work, Yahweh, his name tells you, it reveals his character, he will be when you can't be. See, when, when you can't be the perfect friend and you drop balls and disappoint, Yahweh, He will be. When you're just not enough, 
And the person you look at in the mirror, you're like, I, I can't even look myself in the eyes. I've made a mess of my life. Yahweh, he will be. The name that God chose to give us, his personal name, cries out the fact that, listen, you cannot be everything to all people all the time. You're going to mess up. But when you do, he will be where you can't be. And the lie of Satan that just, just pull yourself out of the fight. God's name rebuts that lie. Don't pull out of the fight. Stay in the fight. Just fight in my name now. Moses, you fought in your own name for 40 years. How'd that work out for you? Then you hid your name in the, in the wilderness for 40 years. How'd that work out for you? Now I'm sending you back to Egypt, but this time in my name, Yahweh, he will be. See, and Moses needed the burning bush thing because he needed something grandiose to call him back because in Moses's mind, it's over. And he needed God to show up in a way that would get his attention because Moses was done. But we live in a different time. You might be sitting in the wilderness of your mess and your mistakes and your failure and you're like, just I'm out of the fight, I'm done. And you're like, God, would you give me a sign? He did, his name was Jesus. We don't have to wait for some miraculous sign from heaven, it already came. See, when Jesus left heaven, stepped onto earth, lived the perfect life we couldn't live, died the death we deserve, raised from the life and said this, raised back to life and said, this will be your reward in eternity. That was God saying, I'm not done with you. If I was done and I was going to write you off at your first mistake, why would I send Jesus to die? And maybe you've bought into the lie that you've messed up and God is done and therefore you are done. And maybe God brought you here today for this reason, to hear the fact that his very name, his very name tells you he's not done with you because he will be where you can't be. And Jesus will be in your place and do what you cannot do for yourself. Because of the cross, it's open season for forgiveness and restoration. There might be places you have quietly resigned yourself to the thought that you're disqualified and God's done and you're done. In fact, you were handed a card when you came in. Grab that card for me. Tolstone Home, David told you to get a blank piece of paper and you can get ready. You see, God's not done is a truth that's true for everybody. But this can't be just informational. This has to be personal. The story of Moses tells us, listen, if God can use the murderer Moses to deliver his people, God can use you. And maybe you're sitting here and your spouse doesn't know it, your best friend doesn't know it, but you know in your soul there are places where you have just, you've not went out to the wilderness, but you've pulled yourself out of the fight. And God brought you here to say, listen, this is your burning bush moment. If you have taken the covenant of marriage, then God's called you to be a spouse. You have to fight for your marriage. He's not done, so you shouldn't be done. If God's blessed you with kids, then he's called you to be a parent, whether you like it or not. You've messed up, but he's not done, therefore you're not done. God's put you into a career. He's called you to it, and he's not done with you, so you don't be done. You are one forgiveness and restoration away from being back in the fight. And So here's what we're going to do. Cross the campuses. The bands are going to load the stage, and we're going to sing 
a chorus over you. And this moment is like on the edge of cheesy and super meaningful. So let's lean super meaningful. This has to be personal. It's one thing to believe the truth. God's not done. Yippee, I believe that. Here's the difference. I want you at some point during this song to write the words, God's not done with me at the bottom. I want you to add with me to that. And that's you sort of confessing before Almighty God. God, I know I've messed up, but God, you're not done with me. Whether you're 14 in middle school or whether you're 90 at the end of things, God's still not done. If you're breathing, he has a purpose for you. And the evil one wants to take you out of the fight and just go live in Midian, quiet life. When Moses knew he was called to be a deliverer, God restored him. And you know in your soul, God's called you to be. And he wants to deliver you. So we prayed for this moment I have all week long. The Spirit of God would call men and women and students to get back in the fight. God is not done with you. You can fail and you can make mistakes, but he will forgive and he will restore. Next weekend, we're going to look at what it looks like. What God did through Moses is unbelievable, but it had to start at the burning bush. God has unbelievable plans for your life, but it has to start here. So as the band sings over you, maybe you want to kneel at your seat, and this is like holy ground situation like it was for Moses. Great. Maybe you need a minute before you write that. You, you need to bring some things to God and say, God, I've pulled myself out of the fight in this area or that area. Maybe you write marriage, parenting, character underneath it. Like, God, that's the place. But Spirit of God, we invite you into this moment across all the campuses in 12 Stone Home. Would you forgive? Would you restore? And would you put us back into the fight? Restore our calling, God. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.